All right, let's uh, pray and get started. All right, Heavenly Father, Lord God, uh, thanks for uh, this time uh, to spend uh, studying your word <clears throat> uh, and listening to you uh, speak to us through your spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, your words would be clear coming out of my mouth uh, and that you would uh, use these words to uh, help people look forward to and uh, hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, well, we are almost halfway through the year, um, obviously, uh, and good job getting this far through the year. It's It's been a long one. It's been a crazy year. Uh, we started off, of course, six months ago, the half of Gippsland was pretty much on fire. Um, and well, we got through that, but um, now the last few months we've been stuck inside as a virus sweeps across the globe. And, uh, and so, of course, this year has laid plans um, to waste. Uh, it's uh, laid to waste livelihoods, um, communities, homes, and, of course, even lives, tragically. I think... Really, there's there's no shame in saying this year has caught us pretty off guard. Um, it's it's so hard to prepare for for catastrophes like this. How do we prepare our lives to accommodate these sorts of disasters? Uh, of course, there will be um, government inquiries, um, studies, research, all these sorts of things, asking that exact question: How do we cope? How do we survive? How do we prepare for the next um, pandemic or um, fires sweeping across the nation? Um, because, of course, times like this really show the need to be prepared for the future. We all need to future-proof our lives, if you will. Um, and so maybe now you're thinking, um, as a result of all that's happened this year, you're you're thinking, I'm never going to skip the flu vaccine again. Uh, I need to make sure my house is up to scratch against fire. I better make sure my insurance is up to date. Um, and of course, these may or may not be um, things that you need to do. They, um, it's entirely up to you what you do um, to prepare your life for disaster. Um, they may or may not help you next time, and, um, and that's, that's entirely up to you. But I do want to make a recommendation to you of something that really you need to prepare your life for. That you do need to future-proof your life against. Uh, and that is the end of the world. Now, there's lots of movies, of course, about the end of the world, isn't there? There's um, lots of movies about, about nuclear war, machines uprising, global warming, whatever it is that brings an end to civilization as we know it. Um, and, and in those sorts of movies, there's survivors, isn't there? There's people who, who have to try and manage um, in the world afterwards. But what if the world literally ends? Because that's what the Bible actually says will happen. It says the heavens will pass away with a roar, 
the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. The heavens and the earth that now exist are being stored up for fire. Um, that's what First Peter chapter 3 says. How do you future-proof your life against something like this? How do you future-proof your life against the world literally ending? How do you future-proof your life if the entire universe could suddenly just cease to exist? Well, turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because that's what our passage this morning deals with. Uh, I'm going to read this morning, I'm going to read the first 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul writes this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for anyone to, uh, to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, as labour pains come on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the day. Children of, so you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep, as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. <clears throat> uh, now this morning we're going to see from this passage there are four things that you will need uh, if you want to future-proof your life. Uh, the first of them comes from verses 1 to 4. You need to get reliable information. Get reliable information. Uh, now, when I was a kid, I remember once watching an episode of Grand Designs. Um, and on this episode, uh, it was about a guy building his house who was a computer engineer. Uh, something along those lines. He was a, a, a tech guru, anyway. Um, but and and this was back in the day when the internet was sort of growing. He was sort of uh, building his house when the internet was becoming a big thing. And being a tech guru, he was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's going to be a big important thing in the future. Everyone's going to need the internet," which is fair enough. Um, and everyone's going to have computers that they need to connect to the internet. So all these rooms in my house. Uh, they're all going to need access to the internet, which is fair enough. Um, he figured, though, that people were going to have to spend 
thousands and thousands of dollars retrofitting their homes for for this eventuality for their every room to have access to the internet because everything was wired you you needed to put cables and cables kilometers and kilometers of cabling around this house to try uh, and connect each room to the internet and that must have seemed like such a great idea at the time of course but by the time the show aired Wi-Fi existed and and it was easy to watch the show and just go you're an idiot There's, there's no need to spend so many thousands of dollars wrapping your home in wire to try and get internet into every room when you can just stick a little modem in the corner of your office and every room has internet. The future was that the internet would be accessed wirelessly. And so this guy had a, his uh, house design was based on unreliable information uh, and, and so of course you need um, if you don't know what the future holds when it actually comes around you might end up looking like a bit of a fool um, and now if you're spending a, a, a couple of thousand dollars trying to get your home internet proof that's uh, that's small chips uh, but if you are wanting to future-proof your life against the end of the world, that's, an, that's a big deal. You really, really need to get reliable information for that. I mean, that's, what Paul, that's the point Paul makes in verses 1 to 4. Um, now, of course, uh, he, in, in the sense of the Thessalonians, we read there in uh, verses 1 and 2 that they knew the reliable information. Uh, you have no need to have anything written to you, says Paul. Uh, you yourselves are fully aware. They had reliable information. But the fact is, not everyone does. And we see that in verse 3, don't we? Some people think that there's peace and security in the future. But what really happens is sudden destruction. Like These, these are polar opposite things. Peace and destruction. And these, uh, especially, are the people of the world, people who, who don't listen to God, non-Christians who, uh, who don't care what God says, because the fact is God is the only one who knows the future. God is the only source of reliable information about the future. And God has put that information in the Bible for us. And so we as Christians have a unique access to that reliable information. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we always listen to it. In fact, I think as Western Christians, um, the future, what we think about the future is, is probably uh, where we really have difficulty um, getting to grips with what the Bible says. Um, and so we look at the news, we, we watch the world try and destroy itself. We watch these uh, apocalyptic movies 
Um, and, and we think maybe it's going to work out that way. Maybe that's what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe we need to prepare for these extinction events, a nuclear war, a, 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 a meteor from space that's going to decimate humanity. But that's not reliable information. As I said, only the Bible is reliable information. And if we want to get reliable information, we need to go to the Bible. In the Bible, we do find the clear and reliable information that we need. And so there is stuff that we can say with absolute certainty about the end. There is reliable information to be found. There is hope of knowing what the future holds. Um, I reckon, I reckon um, it's going to be worth uh, just going through a, a, the five W's, who, what, when, where, why, about the end of the world. We'll start with who. Who is, uh, the answer to the who question is Jesus. Um, the Bible talks about here in verse 2, uh, the day of the Lord. And that's a, a common Old Testament um, phrase. Uh, you might remember a few uh, a few weeks ago, Steve Messer preached on Isaiah two and uh, and so on, and he talked about this day of the Lord. Um, and in the New Testament, uh, the writers of the New Testament picked up this idea and and recognised that that day of the Lord is Jesus' second coming. The Lord is Jesus. Uh, you, you think about tomorrow, uh, this is the, the Queen's birthday weekend, we have a, a day off tomorrow um, where we stop and celebrate that we have a Queen. Sort of. That's, I guess, the theory behind the day. But anyway, there's a, there's a coming day when everyone is going to stop and celebrate that we have a King in Jesus. As it says in Isaiah 2, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Jesus alone will be exalted in that day. Jesus, uh, the who of the day of the Lord is Jesus. Uh, secondly, we might ask, what is the day of the Lord? <clears throat> uh, well, the what is that it's a day of judgment. Verse 3, we see... Uh, Paul talk about sudden destruction. Uh, and again, this is a, a very classic Old Testament way of talking about that day. Uh, Jesus will bring judgment, destruction on all evil. He will destroy everyone who loves evil. And he will remake the world so that it is no longer polluted by evil. Uh, and so the day of the Lord then will be a day of judgment. Uh, and, and so often it is called the day of judgment, the judgment day. Uh, the terms are, are, are virtually synonymous, um, interchangeable. The day of the Lord, uh, judgment day, that's what the day of the Lord is. Uh, we ask when, when will it happen? Uh, well, the fact is no one knows. <clears throat> Verse 2 says it will come like a thief in the night. You don't know when a thief is going to come in the night. That's the whole point. 
uh, it will be sudden, says verse 3. Um, to those in darkness, verse 4 says it will be a surprise. We don't know when it will happen. But by the same token, we do know that it will happen. Um, look there in verse 2 again. The day of the Lord will come. Uh, verse 3, sudden destruction will come. Verse 3 again, they will not escape. It will come. It will come suddenly when people least expect it. That's the when. Next we can ask where. Well, in a word, everywhere. The day of the Lord will be a, a worldwide phenomenon. Every single from a person from across the globe and from all of human history will be there. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to raise the dead like uh, like David talked about last week. Everyone is going to be there. The whole world will know about it. The whole world will be impacted by it. So that's the where. And finally we ask why. Why is this going to happen? Well, the Bible says it's because of sin. And what is sin? Well, sin is evil. And it's what the Bible calls evil. In fact, it's the source of everything that's evil that's ever happened in all of human history. Sin is evil, but it's also like a disease. Sin infects everything. Uh, it destroys everything that it comes in contact with. When it infects someone, it, it gets right to the core of who they are. It, it gets right into them. It gets infects their very soul, permeates everything they do. Um, and, and because of that, it destroys them. It destroys everything they touch. Sin is such a horrible, horrible thing. And so you can understand then why Jesus has to destroy it. You can understand why he, he, he wants to punish everyone who loves sin. Because Jesus loves the world so much that he can't bear to watch it suffer under this disease, this evil of sin that's permeating everything. Uh, God destroying sin, Jesus punishing sinners is a good thing. But it's also a fearful thing. The first ever people uh, in human history chose to, to infect themselves with this disease. Um, and because they were the first people, because sin um, to, infects everyone it touches, and, and because everyone is infected from these sinful people, Every single human in all of history has infected, has contracted this disease. You and I are both infected with evil, infected to our very souls. And, and the worst thing is maybe in, in your heart of hearts, you actually like Now, like me, you may have chosen uh, instead to love God. Um, and that's what the Bible calls repentance, to, to love God rather than loving sin. But our default state, our default state from birth is to enjoy sin, to love it, to, 
to be happy that it's infected us and to revel in acting out that evil. And so if God has to destroy everyone who loves sin, it means our default state is to be in danger of copping the pointy end of Judgment Day. Something needs to change. All of that evil, all of that darkness inside of us needs to be gotten rid of. Uh, and so, so we, we look now at point number two. The second thing we're going to need if we are going to future-proof our lives, we need to get rid of the night. Uh, we're going to look um, now at verses 5 to 8, but I'm, I'll just start by looking uh, at all the negative um, aspects of these verses. Uh, Paul says, uh, starting halfway through verse 5, We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Uh, verse 7, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Now we've already established that the day of the Lord is coming. So it kind of follows that if you want to be ready for that day, you need to get rid of the night. You need to stop living like it's going to be night forever. Um, now, I know many of you are farmers, and um, and if you are, you'll, you'll know that it's uh, to get ready for a long day's work. Uh, often you need to get up while it's still dark. You get up in the night time, not to act like it's night time, but to get ready for the day. That's sort of the idea of, of, of what Paul's got going on here. Uh, but of course, that's not what most people are doing at that hour of the morning. Um, maybe there's a man stumbling home from the pub. He's hung over because he spent the night drinking. Uh, maybe there's a woman pulling tight her clothes, um, hiding her face in shame after a one-night stand. Um, or there's a group of teenagers uh, raising an almighty racket on their way home from a party. Uh, most of all, everywhere there's silent houses where people are sleeping. But if you want to be ready for the day, none of those things are an option. And so Paul says, if we want to be ready for the day of the Lord, we can't do the things associated with night, the darkness. Now, naturally, you might ask what Paul is talking about here. Um, and the fact is, he's most likely referring back to two things that he's already talked about in this book. Um, I, I, the way I understand it, sleeping um, is talking about how we see the future. Um, think about it in verse 3. There's people um, who ignore that the day of the Lord is coming, who, who don't think about it, who forget it, who, uh, whether they're ignorant or whether they're, they're deliberately ignoring the fact. Uh, they, they are ignoring the fact that the day is dawning, and so they're sleeping. Excuse me. 
uh, we need to stop thinking then that the present is all that there is. Uh, likewise, in uh, in verse five, or oh, sorry, verse six, um, drunkenness uh, is about uh, how we live, uh, the way we act, the sorts of things we uh, we do, the, the the sorts of things he talked about in the first half of chapter four, uh, which I preached on last month. Um, it's talking about living for yourself. Um, in, in that passage, he gives the example especially of enjoying uh, wanton sex just for the sake of yourself rather than um, being exclusive and, and loving your, your spouse alone. Uh, it means ignoring the wishes of others. It means wasting away your days uh, instead of working uh, hard for others. Now, isn't it funny how people say, like, you only live once, or, or we might not get tomorrow. Today is all we have. And what they mean by that is live it up now. Enjoy all the sex and the drunkenness and the drugs that you might ever want to enjoy, because tomorrow you might not be able to. But Paul says the same thing, except he means the opposite. You might not get tomorrow, so don't waste your life on filthiness and wickedness. Don't waste your last day on these stupid things. You might not get tomorrow. Get ready for the day of judgment by holding yourself back from everything that will be judged. And if you want to get ready for the day of the Lord, you need to get rid of the night. Um, so that begs the question, how should we live? Instead, uh, well, in the positive aspects of verses 5 to 8, we see that we need to get ready for the day. Paul says, you are all children of the light, children of the day. So then let us keep awake and be sober. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Um, here there's three ways to get ready for the day of the Lord. Be awake, be sober, be protected. Now, I regularly work overnight on call. Uh, and, and every now and then, um, of course, I, we, uh, because of how regular it is, we, we have to have people over the next day. Um, and whenever that happens, of course, it doesn't really matter what kind of night I've had. I might not have gotten much sleep at all, but I still have to be up in the morning. I have to be ready to greet people. I have to be awake. And it's the same with Jesus. He's coming. He's coming soon. We need to be awake so that we can greet him. And now just as being asleep means being ignorant of the future, being awake means expecting his arrival could come at any time. We should look forward to his return and eagerly pray even that today will be the day. Uh, secondly, Paul tells us we need to be sober. Um, now, perhaps you've had a performance review at work um, and you'll know that you need to have all your wits about you if that's going to be the case. 
Um, maybe maybe you've had a job interview. It's the same deal, of course, isn't it? You need to be fully alert. That's the kind of idea behind Paul's using the word sober. Because Judgment Day is going to be a bigger deal than the biggest job interview you've ever had. Jesus, when he returns, is going to give you a performance review. Um, and it's going to be the most important job review of your life. So make sure that when he comes, you are doing what he expects of you. Now, according to the rest of First Thessalonians, uh, Paul explains that Jesus wants us, he expects us to be discipling each other uh, and engaging in spiritual disciplines. Now, we're going to look at that a bit later in, uh, in the rest of chapter 5 in uh, the coming months. Uh, but we need to disciple each other, says Paul. We need to work out our spiritual dis uh, disciplines like prayer, uh, like reading and hearing his word, uh, giving thanks to him and so on. That's what Paul talks about later on. Uh, and that's what it means to be uh, sober in this sense. Uh, thirdly, we need to be protected. Paul wants us to make sure that we have our, our breastplate and our helmets on. These are essential bits of armor. These are the life-saving things you really need if you're going anywhere that might um, be in any way dangerous. You need to protect your head. You need to protect uh, your vital organs in your chest. Um, and so uh, Paul says in this, uh, in this sense, in the, in the eternal sense, they are comprised of faith and hope and love. Now, maybe that's ringing a bit of a bell. Um, these are the, the same three points um, from our first week in Thessalonians um, a, couple, a few months ago. Back in chapter 1, we, we saw that these are the outworkings uh, of the gospel's past work. Um, but here, in this passage, they become the evidence of future safety from judgment. Um, and so they, they are equally important here as well. We need to and continue to ask ourselves, do we do these things? Do you do these things? Do you seek to grow in them? Do you live in faith? Do you live in a way that shows that what God says is true? Do you tell others it's true? Do you live like it's true? Do you reject these uh, lies that the world gives? Do you live in love? Do you give of yourself for the sake of other people? Are you willing to get hurt for the sake of others? Do you prefer that others would be better off, even if it makes life hard for you? Uh, and thirdly, do you live in, in hope? That is, do you look forward to the return of Jesus? Are you confident that the day of the Lord, uh, that in the day of the Lord you will be saved? Are you excited about living in the presence of God for all eternity? Well, the Bible says if you live in these ways, if you seek to grow in these ways, then rejoice. The day of the Lord will be a day of joy for you. You have nothing to fear from the day of judgment. And that's what it means when Paul says to put on the, the, the breastplate of hope, uh, sorry, the breastplate of faith and love and the, the helmet of hope. That's what it means to be protected. Uh, and so we have these three instructions. Be awake, be sober, be protected, 
That's how uh, you, you are prepared for the day of judgment. Expect Jesus' return. Be doing what he expects uh, and make sure that you will be safe. And yet, in verse 9, we see the word destined. And that's a big deal. That's incredibly significant. In fact, that word is so significant. It has the power to invalidate everything I've just said. Because, of course, I've been talking about how we can be ready for Judgment Day. But in, in actual fact, it's destiny which will determine what, uh, how we will uh, experience Judgment Day. We don't really like talking about destiny, do we? We don't like being told that our life will end a certain way. We don't like being told that there's nothing we can do about how our life will end down. We, we like control over it. We make our own destiny, right? We, life is all about the choices we make. The power to decide what happens to you is in your hands, right? Well, sadly, that's not really the case. If you don't believe me, let me give you an example. Now, we have great technologies in, in, our, in the medical field. Um, in the, the field of geno genetic diagnostics. Um, um, we're able to uh, predict with incredible certainty um, that, that a person will suffer from certain diseases, things like uh, a cystic fibrosis, for example. Even before they're born, sometimes, uh, we can say definitely though that that person is going to find it almost impossible to breathe their whole life. It'll probably kill them. We can predict diagnoses without someone even having been born. But here's the thing. There's nothing we can do about it. That child is destined to suffer for a lifetime. This child is destined to die young. It's their destiny. There's nothing we can do. Destiny is real. The end of your life has been decided and there is nothing you can do about it. Just as if uh, genetic abnormality had uh, taken away your life from you. God has uh, given you a destiny. Um, and so what do we do with these three things that, that we need if we're going to future-proof our life? What, what, what do we do now that it turns out there's nothing you can do? If your destiny is to just be found guilty, um, to be punished, to spend eternity uh, in torment? What do we do? Well, we look at verse 9, where it says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
The fact is, our destiny is set. There's nothing we can do about it. And our destiny is salvation. Our destiny is salvation. Our destiny is to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our destiny is set and there's nothing we can do about it because Jesus has done it all. He died for us, says verse 10, so that we might live with him. In Jesus' death we are given life. In Jesus' death we are given salvation. Like I said, we should be copying the pointy end of Judgment Day, but this means, uh, sorry, we should experience death, endless death, the pain of death stretched out forever and ever 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 without stopping. But Jesus has been there and done that. Jesus took the fullness of his endless suffering on himself when he died on the cross. So we don't need to. Jesus is alive now. And we will be too. Because he died for us. So that we might live. It's all done. Once for all. And so now there, there is, we don't need to do anything to make it happen. And, and, and there's nothing we can do to make it stop. Verse 10 says, whether we are awake or asleep, um, and he's not meaning that in the sense that he meant it back in verses 6 and 7. Um, rather, he's using the same image that he used in chapter 4. Um, awake is alive, asleep is dead. Um, and, and so what he means is life and death on this earth makes no difference to the life that Jesus gives. Much less anything you could do. The life he offers continues forever. It's the best kind of life available, in fact, because it's life with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Our destiny is salvation and life through Jesus. And that's why this fourth point um, is that you need to get wrapped about Jesus. Get wrapped about Jesus. See, we need Jesus. Uh, if we're going to be ready for Judgment Day. And, and not even uh, like one thing off a shopping list. Now all the other things I've said this far hang off this point. Or they, they, they lead to, they flow out of this point. In fact the key to this passage, the key to, be, uh, to future proofing your life, the key to being ready for the day of the Lord is this. Jesus Christ is the only way to be ready for Judgment Day. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the only way to be ready for Judgment Day. It is through him that we are ready. Through Jesus that we will be saved on, on that day. Jesus Christ is the only way to be ready for Judgment Day. And, and so if you have believed in him, you are ready for Judgment Day. So get excited, get wrapped, get wrapped about Jesus. Uh, and when you're wrapped about Jesus, get everyone else wrapped about Jesus too. Verse 11 says, encourage one another and build one another up. In other words, help others get ready for the day of the Lord. Help others get wrapped about Jesus. 
show people who Jesus is so that they love him, so that they get excited about him, so that in him they will be ready. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in closing, I want to um, close with a song uh, which really sums up this idea, this uh, this the theme that Jesus Christ is the only way to be ready for judgment day. Uh, and so th this song uh, starts by asking the question, who will stand on judgment day? Who will be there in God's presence? And the answer is he who walks in the Lord's way, he who matches God's righteousness. Uh, but then, of course, we all have to realize that's not us. How can I stand on that day? How can I be there in God's presence? I don't walk in the Lord's way. I could never match righteousness. But in Jesus, it all changes. Through him, we are destined to obtain salvation. Uh, and so the song ends with that triumphant hope. Christ will stand on judgment day. In him, I'll be there in God's presence. My sin is gone, no more to pay. I am clothed in God's righteousness, in Christ's righteousness. Um, I think there'll be a, a link somewhere around to uh, listen to the full song, and I encourage you to do, that, to do so just to let the message of the passage sink in. Uh, but first, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we are so grateful for this passage. The, the end of the world uh, is, and, and all that comes after is such a, a thing of fear for so many people, and rightly so, Lord. But we are so thankful that you have not destined us for wrath, that you have destined us um, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that you have given us this gospel, this, this message of hope. Uh, and we pray that we would cling to it uh, with, with joy, with eager expectation. Uh, and we pray that we would encourage others to do the same. Uh, in the name of Christ our Saviour.